Hello everyone, my name is Dimitri and you're listening to the Rise Productive Podcast. In this show, I talk about minimalism, self-improvement, productivity, and what it means to build a better life. Enjoy the show. What is going on guys? My name is Dimitri and welcome to the Rise Productive Podcast. In today's episode, we have, uh, I don't want to say a guest because I live with him. Um, We got a dude, his name's Chance. What's going on Chance? Not much. Happy to be here. Yeah, we got a um, we got an interesting scenario here. Uh, my roommate, uh, uh, man, this is awkward. I don't know how to do this. Um, uh, I haven't made. I also haven't recorded in a while, so this is awkward for me. But my roommate has decided that he wants to do the pod, possibly with me, maybe long term. We'll see. Um, this is the first episode we got going together. We got some cool topics. He's a I won't talk too much about him. I'll let him do most of that, but he's a philosophy major and we have a lot of good, uh, insightful conversations about topics I like and he likes. So, um, give the people a little rundown of who you are and, and yeah. Will do. Thank you for the introduction, Dimitri. I will say, I think I'm a bit of a guest because I think even though we live together, no one comes into your room. You live in your own little sanctuary. So this might be my second time in your room over nine months of living together. Um, it's been that long. (laughs) been that long wait a second three i'm not a math major wait dog oh it has been eight months holy okay yeah kind of unreal but me personally running friend of dimitri we uh like to go out on some uh runs together have some good conversations where philosophy and uh minimalism merge and uh yeah i don't know not uh, too much to say about me yeah he's uh he's downplaying himself he runs uh he runs a lot I run a lot. That's all. I'll leave it at that for those of my personal people who know me. That's all I can say. Uh, but for the purposes of this podcast, I just felt like having him on to test it out as well as maybe in the future because I don't know about you, but when I listen to podcasts, I like the conversations people have more than anything. And I've enjoyed my guests. The guests have been great. But two things. First thing, I kind of have been in a spot where I don't really want to keep reaching out to people besides like maybe like the odd nugget here and there, right? Where I get like this, like I've seen people do group podcasts where they like invite an extra person when they have a co-host, right? And I think those are entertaining. And I think just having people to just ask all the time is fine. But uh, I don't really, I, I don't like the lack of structure there. I'm a very structured oriented person. And I kind of hate having to continuously reach out to people. So I mean, yeah, I mean, it's exhaustive, like, not only with, you know, reaching out and finding new people, but it's like every time it's like you got to create new chemistry, right? Yes, exactly. Yeah, yeah. That's uh, that's my biggest deal. And I like talking. Don't get me wrong. I like talking. But I know people don't want to just hear me talk for 60 minutes um, to 90 minutes. And I also don't think my throat could take it. Which oh, is, I mean, of course. <laughs> yeah. Um, as, as Chance and my other friends know, I like to talk outside of the podcast and the podcast is my realm where people can't, well, they could make fun of me for talking on the podcast, but um, generally speaking, that would be frowned upon as in there listening to my podcast. So that's their choice. Um, <laughs> but yeah, with that being said, uh, I just, I just want to see where this goes. Um, but I will st- still be making the podcast and weekly. Um, we don't really know what it's going to entail. I think uh, I've been talking with Chance about it just like, just randomly throughout we live together so we just talk about it randomly um the meaning of life i feel like is a good <laughs> motto for this like it's going to be called the rise productive podcast but i don't know i don't know what your thoughts are on that 
something along those lines. I don't know. I I just said it the first time now, but we're philosophy and productivity merge. Yeah, that's so that's, a, that's a good that's a good, that's a good line. Yeah, the rise productive podcast. I don't know what the rise part would be in there, um, but productivity would make sense. Um, yeah. Okay. Well, that's we'll we'll have to think of it. We'll have to think of a motto, and I'll have to get a new uh, podcast pick. If you see a new podcast pick of me and the the dude with the mullet, uh, that's that's him. You'll see the video portion for those of you that watch the video. Um, but the mullet guy is not me. I did not grow out a mullet and become more attractive. Um, that's just my roommate. Okay, so. First topic, effective altruism. Chance brought this up to me. Explain what it means concisely or as unconcisely as you want. We're just going to talk. Now, don't don't get nervous. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, like, kind of tying back to where, like, productivity meets philosophy. I think this is kind of where, I mean, oftentimes, you know, philosophy majors as me get a lot of shit for being, you know, armchair thinkers and really not applying anything that we learned, you know, the real world. So I think it's where the rubber really hits the ground. And um, it's this contemporary philosopher, William McAskwell, who essentially just has this organization called Effective Altruism, where they research on different, you know, charities, and they say which ones are going to be the most effective for helping, like, the most people in some kind of, like, utilitarian sense with, you know, increasing their well-being and, like, life's just quality standards okay sorry i was a bit distracted we had a we had a disturbance <laughs> we had a chungus disturbance in the in the background yeah when you brought this topic to me i thought it was pretty interesting um i actually was listening to a podcast which i, I sent uh i don't actually think i sent that one to you but there's this podcast called uh not overthinking with ali abdal good podcast they actually brought up effective altruism in the podcast with their guest which is pretty interesting mm-hmm. um but uh, a lot of like uh, what I've been going through with this whole um, minimalism shtick is uh, Chance saw me start to wear only gray shirts um, when I moved in with him. Um, I feel like there's there's a lot of these new concepts that are coming out forward. Personally, I think of, that I think have been pretty good. And when I first heard of this one and the concept of giving to charity, I was going to be, I'll be honest, I was a bit skeptical. Um, I don't think... St- charity's bad but i have like a my reservations on like giving my money to different organizations due to like big organizations just not being good with their charity money yeah and i mean i discovered this from william being on a uh, podcast with sam harris and making sense with sam harris podcast an interesting point that he brought up is that we bring so much skepticism and criticism whenever we're talking about charity and yet we bring very much or no very little skepticism in comparison to like you know millionaires billionaires who are pursuing these careers so it's like it's kind of a good thing and i don't know why charity is always getting so much flack i mean maybe it's that people are just benefiting off of other people's you know victimization but it's like there's a lot worse things happening that don't receive that level of criticism yeah, that's fair. I think um, a lot of it's uh, like the the fear of Bill Gates, and um, people have some ideas on him, which is are interesting. But no, like no. In all seriousness, there's like the um, the horror stories that you hear, like how much money you put into buying something that's a part of like a charitable organization, or where the money actually goes. Like for example, uh, I remember when I first heard the NFL had their 
breast cancer awareness month like cool i was like all right this is great i know this is different than charity don't get me wrong but i remember hearing that something like 1.4 or like two percent of the money that gets given to them through purchases actually ends up going towards research and i was like excuse me that's a that's a lot of money that didn't go towards research and that's what i bought this for right yeah and the whole point is you're saying two percent went to research and 98 percent is what like uh 98 percent was on like the marketing material to, to like make breast cancer awareness month more popular um just nfl revenue all those sort of things like it didn't it didn't actually really go towards breast cancer research that much and yeah awareness is good but like the people with cancer would much uh, over this people with cancer know they have cancer um people with families family members of those people know that they also have cancer like i don't think we need to raise awareness on cancer like we know breast cancer is a thing right right and we're pretty aware we just need the research to like continue so they can get fixed i mean sure but i mean you know as a marketing major more than anyone that like public awareness is so important too so i think it's this debate between like the overhead that you spend on like raking money in and how much money you can actually like put towards your cause. So it's like if you spend a million dollars on overhead and you end up making a hundred million dollars, you know, somebody like the NFL who has that kind of money, it's like it could be good. But yeah. it's like, you know, you spend a hundred thousand dollars and only get two hundred thousand dollars in, you look pretty bad. Yeah, that's fair. I think a lot of it's um I don't know. Since I, I, I've saw that and since I saw the movie Concussion, which sounds stupid, just to say like due to the movie Concussion, I lost respect for the NFL. Like thanks Will Smith doing a really bad uh, I think it was Nigerian accent. Like just um have you seen that movie? No, is this a documentary? Everything's a documentary. No, uh it's uh, based on the true story, based on the right? Tree, yeah. It's uh it's the story of um a I believe Nigerian born and then um become American um neuroscientist who figures out like the really bad issues that are caused uh, figures out cte okay and um it had to do with uh obviously all the concussions that nfl players are are going through and mm-hmm. it was it the impression was funny the substance was not funny but like you find out all these different like cover-ups the nfl did about like such a serious topic about how these people are going kind of nuts and between that and breast cancer awareness month i was like man the nfl sketch so um, whenever I see people like in these big organizations talking about like wanting to give it back and all these things, I just get very skeptical. And cause I'm a marketer or I, I'm studying marketing. I just know how like much people are made to believe that they need things that they don't. Right. So mm-hmm. sometimes I quite, that's what I pointed out the whole like breast cancer awareness thing as like people know breast cancer exists. I, I think we need to stop with this whole like it. I think people know like, oh, uh, yeah, yeah. yeah we, I think people know. Right. So my question is, are they just make or were they just marketing all of that? So the NFL's bottom line could improve. And then they also like throw a little like, oh, here's some research money. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. I mean, I think that's where you put your overhead. Right. I mean, I think you have yeah. a point that like people could be doing it in a more minimal fashion yeah, yeah, where yeah. like it's just breast cancer exists donate to research yeah but you know they do the shirts and they do all this mm-hmm. jazz and it gets a lot more uh, publicity and love for the nfl than i think it does money for research 
Yeah, and that's the sad part, and that's why I when you talk talk to me about effective altruism, I thought it was it was interesting, um, and I feel like um, overall. Uh, my opinion is a little less skeptical about this. However, uh, I do want to talk to you a little bit about, um, um, you brought up a point to me. It was pretty funny just when we were going over the topics. Uh, like, can anyone be altruistic? And I, I want you to bring up your point about a certain <laughs> famous woman that exists from history. So altruism in like the truest sense, like I do not believe could exist. I mean, to be 100% selfless is just, not something that's in our DNA. I mean, yeah. even, so I brought up Mother Teresa because you can say, even if you're the most moral person and you have <laughs> no stake in the decision that you do, like you're not gonna benefit any way in this world, there's at least like, Mother Teresa's thinking like, well, you know, at least I do all this suffering to like get into heaven, like some otherworldly justification. So it's just like, I don't see anyone like being motivated without a little bit of self-interest. So it's kind of like, Altruism seems like this kind of like perfect abstract concept that we're never going to be able to reach. But with effective altruism, it's like if you give up 10% of your life savings, I mean, at least you're like in a step in the right direction. Yeah, that's fair. I think Mother Teresa did it for the clout. Um, personally, <laughs> no. Uh, I think that's true. I actually have had an opinion for a long time, and it, it mainly comes up with politics, right? And we saw a lot of different things in the past election cycle. I'm going to talk about that. Uh, but I don't believe that the most effective leaders can exist ever in history, um, or at least not in the current landscape, maybe. Maybe ever is, is, is not a right um, argument, because someone, a very altruistic person could be born into a, a monarchy back in the day, and we, they could have got, we couldn't get lucky, right? Sure. But in current political climate that exists, right, especially in the United States and, um, and a lot of modern democracies, what it takes to become the top of the totem pole requires lack of altruism i i like believe this for years i think it requires like a level of selfishness which can get you elected you know what i'm saying oh, yeah, like absolutely. there there is no world where unless andrew yang just getting out <laughs> ideas no uh not my opinion uh didn't say my political opinion no but if like somebody who is a very altruistic person you think is going to be elected for example say andrew yang i was kind of kidding but like he seems to be somebody who's like kind of in the middle, kind of seems like a good dude, whatever, to a lot of people. If he gets elected, I guarantee you, whatever he did to get elected, in my opinion, means he's not altruistic. And he's probably like not the nicest. Like, and not, he's not a, maybe bad, but what it takes to become United States president is like levels of selfishness that are almost uncomparable to like the average person. Oh, I mean, of course. I mean, it's like... Sir, sure, you're serving others, but at the same time, it's your name on the ballot. You have to buy into yourself, and that requires some level of being selfish. So it's like, sure, Andrew Yang has ideas that are mostly going to help others, but it's like, he's still taking photos of him riding his bike around New York City, and it's still about him to some extent. So it's like, <laughs> I wholeheartedly do agree with you that like altruism cannot exist in the political realm. I mean, at least not to the same extent. Yeah, like maybe local political office, but I, I you could even argue that like some dude is like trying to beef your local um, state representative or your um, your alderman um, or some. I don't know. I laughed at the word alderman. <laughs> Chicago, um, Chicago's great. Uh, alderman, 
probably is also thinking even in their mind their little bubble that exists they're also a little bit of like yeah like look at me i'm like i'm like the the district's alderman like that's that that's me like look at me <laughs> and and that's just funny to me that 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 exists even though in local office is like the most important thing to vote for or whatever i just think it's interesting for sure i mean yeah i think it is a whole nother conversation of considering you know s- separating the personality from the job i mean with what other job I mean, I guess in, unless you're like some CEO, big public figure, how often is that that your identity reflects to some extent how you do your job? It's just in politics, it's completely, you know, merged, blended into each other. And it's like you can't get away from the personality when you consider how well they're doing their job. You know, uh, that makes me think of an interesting question about CEOs. And uh, we can maybe get into this for a bit. Um you know, like Elon Musk, Steve Jobs types, right? I know who like, they are. Uh, you know, you know, <laughs> I, I'm aware. Steve Jobs <laughs> Awareness Month. Rest in peace, pancreas cancer. Um, don't drink too much carrot juice. Uh, I don't know if you guys are aware, but carrot juice was what it did him in evidently. Um, kind of really sad. But anyways, um, you got to think about this, right? So from the CEO's perspective, I don't know. You, do you know about like um, Friedman versus Freeman, like the whole business ethics thing or like? No. You don't, you don't know Milton Friedman or, oh, you know, Morgan Freeman, hopefully, but like, I know ethics. You know Do ethics. I know business? <laughs> you don't know business ethics? Business doesn't have any ethics. God bless it. Um, no, but like, there's a, there's a idea that like there's stakeholder theory and shareholder theory, um, two different like concepts. Mm-hmm. And uh, one of the theories essentially says that what you should do is go for the bottom line. And another one says like, you should like, Sorry, you should go for the bottom line because that's what's best for your your stakeholders, right? Um, or your shareholder. I, you know, I'm just blanking on the theory right now, but uh, that would be shareholders. That would be yeah, shareholder yeah. theory. And then I believe stakeholder theory is doing what's best for like um, like all stakeholders, right? Trying to trying to find the best balance of everything. If I'm doing this wrong, I <laughs> five years of education down the drain. Uh, but <laughs> it makes me question in CEO cases since you just pointed out so just on the spot. Do CEOs like Steve Jobs and Elon Musk, are they really doing it and what they're, what they're doing for the company? Are they doing it for the bottom line? Are they doing it for the selfish factor of like, I'm Steve Jobs. Look at what I did. I'm Elon Musk. Look at what I did. I'm Jeff Bezos. I'm look at what I did. All those sort of things. I mean, of course the answer lies in the middle, right? I mean, but I think that it's definitely lying towards I'm Elon Musk. I'm Steve Jobs. I'm Bill Gates. It's like yeah, that's interesting. I don't think that I don't. I was thinking about this earlier today because like you have you know people like Bill Gates, but it's like how long have like these figureheads of CEOs existed? And of course, it's been since the Industrial Revolution. I'd say with America, you know, you got like Rockefeller and figures like that. So I mean, they've existed, but it's like. Maybe back then they were a little more for the shareholders and that's how they got to where they are. But now it's like Elon Musk is like on Reddit and making music and like, you really wonder. See, I don't know how much I actually agree with like the time change making it more selfish. I'm not actually sure about that. And the only reason I say that is that the way the stock market works now is so incentive based, you know, I mean like Elon Musk like records a song or he says we're going to go to space and it's like, that gives everyone some kind of incentive to be like, oh, like Tesla is an exciting company or, you know, like I can't think of anything incredibly crazy that Bill Gates does. But I mean, 
I think he's he gives pretty money well known. To, yeah. to the African children. Exactly. I mean, his foundation now. And that kind of ties back to charity. I mean, it's like he has mm-hmm. millions and millions of dollars. Like, he's getting some credit for giving a couple away to charity, but it's like, do you really need those millions still? Yeah, and uh, I agree with you in a lot of ways, but I, I was just thinking about it because, like, um, Steve and the way they portray Steve and how he was behind the scenes in a lot of these movies, and I keep feeling like I'm referencing movies for a lot of my logic here, and that's, <laughs> poor, that's very poor. Um, but, like, no, in all seriousness, for, for most accounts of Steve Jobs and Elon Musk, they're just not cool behind the scenes um, to a lot of their employees. And it definitely makes me feel like there's there's this personal connection that they go too far with when it comes to like being the CEO. It's mm-hmm. like I am a CEO. Oh God! And it's like all these fake gurus who like say I'm CEO <laughs> at myself, like or whatever on their Facebooks. And it's like you guys need to get a life tie, Lopez, etc. Um, <laughs> and yeah, I just uh, I was thinking about that. Like, what level of altruism can exist even with those high level CEOs? Like personally, if like I made when I'm doing a business, right? I feel like somewhere along the line, and I've seen it a lot of, with the, a lot of the productivity YouTubers that exist, like, like yeah, I started out pretty altruistic, and I think I hopefully will still be. But some of these dudes, they they're they're not fake gurus. But I actually actually I have seen one guy become a fake guru <laughs> from being like this like very Christian like you know like grind it out like I wake up at three fifty five a.m. every day. Sure. <laughs> um, and I'm just like, why are you in my DMs asking me if I want to make money? Like uh, she's trying to like help God or whatever. And, um, I love God. People notice in my, my videos I wear, I wear a cross, but, uh, in all seriousness, it's just like, I feel like altruism cannot exist fully. So I cannot exist fully with a lot of successful things that happen. And whether that's a company or a person, that's why I actually really question charity a lot, because if a charity is going to be successful and it's charitable actions, the only way you can get there is by having a CEO or whatever, say it's a non-profit, whatever, having someone who's in charge mm-hmm. be in the position to make decisions. And that person who would make the most effective decisions would inherently not be altruistic. And that's what I was thinking about with effective altruism too, <laughs> is like you look on their website and they give you like jobs within like realms of like helping the most needed people, right? And I'm looking at some of these jobs that are like directly working with William McAskwell. And it's like, you can be a research assistant, get 50 to 70 K a year and you get dental health. I mean, all kinds of insurance. (laughs) And I was like, okay, so if I get 50 to 70 K as like a intern with William McAskwell, who apparently is all about giving away his money. It's like, what kind of money is effective altruism raking in right now? Yeah, right. And and that makes me question it uh, essentially too, because and Chance and I were talking about this beforehand, but like what level and, and it, it we'll get into like the personal part about uh, effective altruism and like, um, and just charity in general. Um, first and foremost, by the way, before I get into it, hand motions are good for talking. With the microphone, don't touch the table. He doesn't. Oh, he doesn't know table. that. He doesn't know that it'll bump the, the bump that I got this thingy. But anyways, um, just let him know there. Um, hands off the table. Hands off. I mean, just oh, see, see what he did. Um, anyways, uh, no, you're good. Uh, like, it, I was thinking about this earlier with Chance, and I was talking to him about like, what level of money does it take for somebody who's rich to like justifiably have done the right amount of charitable work 
And did they already get so much money that it's like you shrug, like when Bill Gates throws how many hundreds of millions of dollars or billions of dollars into like these um, this these foundation research things and, and whatever he's doing philanthropically. It's like, yeah, but like, didn't you like require a buildup of like wealth to then like throw it back? And like, basically all you're doing is throwing in like your investment returns, like a charity at this point. Right. No, I mean... That's interesting because it's like, well, two things. I think one is that you have to look at these things as a, as a percentage. I mean, Bill Gates, if he gave billions, I think I wouldn't do yeah, just yeah, a shrug. Yeah. I'd be pretty impressed. Yeah. But it's millions, right? When he is yeah. the second most wealthy person in the world. And it's like, so at one has to be a percentage. Uh-huh. I think two, it's looking at like his lifestyle versus like how much money he gives. So it's like, Sure, he gives millions of dollars to maybe fight climate change, but like he still has a private jet and, you know, he's, you know, his carbon footprint is huge between houses, jets, boats. And it's like, do you need that kind of lifestyle to like, does it really justify that lifestyle if you give millions of dollars? And that gets to a question of like, is collective action through charity more effective than how you live your lifestyle? Because like, you can be vegetarian and you might save like, I don't know, a few chickens a year. But if you, you know, like create some collective group, I was reading an article that said like, if you like make some kind of collective action group where you like speak to your grocery store about sourcing better eggs, you've already saved more chickens that way from unethical practices than you did being vegetarian for a year. I could donate $10 to some organization to advocate for that and do just as much. See that that mm, that's a fair point, but it sounds like that means you're calling yourself out unless you've done some things because you're a vegetarian. <laughs> uh, sounds like you need it to, makes me feel pretty useless, right? Yeah, it's it like sounds I, like you I, need to get on the the horse right there. Uh, yeah, it's like I've been vegetarian for two years. I could have gave twenty dollars and been fine with it. That's not why I'm vegetarian yeah. entirely, but <laughs> <laughs> but if you had an ethical, well, well, you have a physical reason, but like. Eth- eh. Kind of bull. Uh, what you, you, I would you, say it was yeah. health first, but you know, every time someone comes up to me and is like, "Oh, it's so sad how animals get killed You're for like, yeah. meat," I'm like, yeah, "I feel a little less bad than you do <laughs> because I don't eat it." So I've like leaned into the ethical debate by association. <laughs> You've leaned into it and been like, "See, look at me. I'm just a little bit better than you, right? <laughs> I'm just a little bit better than than your meat eating self." You know, when you have that Beyond Meat sandwich every once in a while, that's my only option, or just the egg. So that's from like Duncan. See, people see me order that at the restaurant, and they're like, "He's doing a little better than I am." <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's true, though. I mean, I don't really know whether um, I see this is my problem, right? This is this is the problem I have because I am very budget oriented and i'm very like actually i wouldn't even say i'm a good budgeter i'm just like annoyingly frugal about like random things like that'll happen um for example uh i'm i'm cooking vegetarian for our fan our little i say family uh our little uh apartment meals it doesn't feel like family family just style family style yeah <laughs> um doing the little uh vegetarian side of it and i'm I mean, I'm doing it out of convenience for, for chance. I'm doing it a little bit for my own health. But like the main purpose was like, man, vegetarian meals are low-key kind of cheap in comparison. Way cheaper. I mean, a lot of, I mean, at least, you know, the um, grocery store we go to, everything, if you get a, if you have a student ID, you get like 10, 20% off everything except meat. I'm like, I'm sold right there. But not only that, I mean, like, 
It's just way cheaper. I mean, you're playing with fire when you have meat, man. I mean, you can undercook it, overcook it, and I mean, you know how to undercook I, a burger. Uh, <laughs> I don't want to talk about that. Christian, I'm sorry. No, uh, I had a family member who came over one time for burgers, and I felt like I undercooked them, and I think I did. Like, honestly, I think we kind of got lucky. Um, it was my first time cooking burgers, and with the red meat after that, and then I tried the another time, and I was so hell-bent on, like, not undercooking them that I definitely overcooked them. Oh, yeah. yeah, and I'm like, this meat thermometer's not saying that it's this exact temperature and it's just going to, like, it's going to kill somebody. And I definitely think uh, that the, the vegetarian side of things, but anyways, well, my point was about the, the reason of me it being cheaper. It's like, sometimes I want to give to charity or, like, but I'm just, like, I have this, like, weird skepticism about charity mixed with my, like, random, like, frugality about things. So I'm just, like... Yeah, but like if I give 20 bucks to a charity that's not going to do anything, I'm essentially throwing $20 of my money down the toilet. And like, I don't do that. Like if I'm right. going to spend a lot of money on something, like the majority of my money is spent on probably food, which is technically required for cons for like living. So I can justify that marginally. But since I've been on the whole minimalism stick, since I've been all that, I mean, maybe some like... Uh, tech gear for youtube maybe like a monitor like every once in a while but like it's it's very little i just don't do it besides food so if i don't know 100 percent, and since i'm very skeptical about it i just don't i i can get behind it morally but if i don't know if it's the the moral choice i will not do it yeah and i think that that is like two good things about effective altruism, right? I mean, you have an issue with your time because you don't want to do the research making sure you've picked a good charity, bad charity. They're doing a lot of research picking which ones are the best and like which causes are the best. So when you're looking at like how can we solve malaria in Africa, is it do we get better, you know, like surgical equipment or like, yeah. you know, medical equipment to doctors or do we give doctors better educations? And it shows that there are certain causes that effectively take your dollar further so one is time and i think two was the whole thing about making it feel like it's something you're spending whereas this is just an automation they usually do 10 percent. i think you could do less or more so if you make it feel like more like taxes or like student loans something that's just like okay. never touching your hands yeah it's just a little different yeah, I think uh, we were talking about, we had like a very long conversation how to run one time about income-based uh, repayment college loans and how much better that is mm -hmm. and how that's like not the default uh, for U.S. Um, uh, loan takers for college debt. And I definitely think it would be better when you don't see it coming in. It is, um, there's there's been studies shown that like it does affect your um, your happiness less, right? Like, right. like the level of stress like if they, if they could put people in a lab and test stress levels of people in college debt who have the same amount from the UK as the US, I guarantee you they would find that the UK people are like, yeah, I mean, like I got the debt, but like, I mean, it just takes comes out of my paycheck. I don't care. And that's all I've heard, like anecdotally. Right. So it's it, it, it does probably make me think that it is the right choice. And it's 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 good that you brought it up because maybe I'll have a reason to give to charity because besides like physically doing stuff. I've just never been able to convince myself because I just am so skeptical about it. Even like those websites where it's like, <laughs> it's going to sound bad. Like do this math and like these kids will get like 
get like grains of rice oh yeah and i'm like yeah like i'll do this but like how time one how time effective is that two are they actually getting the rice am i really helping these <laughs> kids or is it just like some scam so this guy can get some more web website traffic like i don't really know so i i've heard a lot of of a poll for this effective altruism thing so i'm counting on it to to be accurate you know i played with that rice game i used to play <laughs> games in high school on my laptop and we were like screwing around in class and they'd be like hey like one of my friends was like okay instead of playing like this game why don't you like improve your math skills and like give a little bit to charity in the process oh, that's and it's so like, nice it's so nice right but it's like i felt good about it because i put a little work into it so my fear with this automation is that <laughs> If it you just if it just gives away, I mean, like, where's the sense of fulfillment with giving to charity? I'm not saying that's the only reason we give to charity, but there's certainly a factor of, wow, I feel good about this, right? And it's like, if we just automated this the same way that you automate taxes, student loans, where it really doesn't phase you emotionally, what's gonna keep you from <laughs> keep donating to charity if you don't gain any emotional benefit? But where, okay. So just just to clarify, what is the? I mean, you say it's like ten percent of like your income or something. Like, do you like give? What do? You, how do you? Do you just you tell them what your income is, or like what? Don't know the details of that. I don't okay. know if that would be a check. I th I think it's a check by check basis. I can't imagine they come to you at the end of the year and they're like ten percent now. Yeah, okay. yeah, that would seem detrimental. Detrimental. <laughs> <laughs> um, maybe I mean in that sense. I mean the only way I could view it is that if somebody had a good budgeting process or something like that, where you really go through it every month, you go and see what money comes out of your account, you could be like, hey, look, this is my, oh, here's my monthly reminder that I'm giving to charity. And that sounds bad, <laughs> but if to solve what, what you're thinking, that's probably the only way that it's going to happen. Yeah. Yeah. No, it sounds terrible, but in a utilitarian <laughs> sense, it doesn't matter why you're doing it. It matters what you are doing. <laughs> So you just feel to yourself, oh, I'm giving to charity. Look at me. And it's it's probably, I mean. I don't think it's a bad thing to celebrate. No, it, charity. It, celebrate. Yeah. No, there's not a bad, <laughs> we have this joke in the apartment when one of the guys, we'll talk about him later um, with habits, but when, when one of the guys does something cleanly or good, we just go celebrate. Just, you got to celebrate the smallest victories, man. It's. <laughs> It's finding grace in the daily movements of life. <laughs> but uh, yeah, no, he's uh, he, he needs to be celebrated. And uh, I think I think charitable action should be as well. So on a, on a personal on a personal note, like I'll just say if if I do enough research on this and I find it to be good, I think once I, I have an income, it'll probably be a pretty good idea for me to do i think i may suggest it to more people and there's a reason i brought it up on the podcast because you yourselves you know you, i hope you got money if you don't i'm i'm sorry uh I, if you're managing to listen to this without money i'm impressed and i would like to know what your kind of frugal life is like because <laughs> i'm very impressed um you may not have an income but you have some sort of means to, to download this and I'm, I'm appreciative so going into the next part of, of the podcast I, I wanted to talk about how you know, we talked about effective altruism and giving a little bit of your money away and anyway, um, monthly, whatever it is, 10%, it could be. And talking a little bit about like Bill Gates, you know, Chance said if Bill Gates gave away billions of dollars, yeah, like cool. Um, that's a pretty quality percentage of his income. But my question is, and and Chance actually found apparently that um, Greek people, which invented everything and Greeks are great <laughs> people and I'm Greek, so I'm just plugging our people. Uh 
we found out that they invented minimalism apparently and we talked a little bit about just uh the fact that a hundred like there's there's like a range of money you can make to like where you you like actually achieve utility and i feel like utilitarianism got brought up in our um apartment a fair amount recently and uh just tell the peeps to start off what it was that you heard about the greeks inventing minimalism um or whatever the term actually is you 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 talk now yeah i can go (laughs) (laughs) so just a preface i was thinking about like you know like how i'd kind of hate people like bill gates and like excessive wealth like that on like a personal level because like it seemed like three things were happening in parallel there was me being spiteful towards certain rich people within my life and seeing unhappy lifestyles there i saw you going down this whole minimum minimalism lane and then last fall i'm taking this class on ancient um greek philosophy and one of the schools being epicureanism created by the thinker epicurus Original. And <laughs> Original. Basically, their, all of ancient Greek philosophy is asking, what is the good life? And yeah. their big thing was saying that the good life is finding the most happiness with basically the minimal amount of things. It's basically oh. textbook minimalism. Uh. A little bit different. I think that it starts with this concern for the long-term happiness of yourself. So they say, like, you don't know if you're going to get, like, exiled from your city and end up in the desert or like you know end up losing all your resources in the future so you need to be able to train yourself with being happy with nothing but the natural necessary goods that you need which would be things you need to survive food water etc and if other things come your way and this is where epicureanism gets a lot of uh misconnotations of like the very bourgeoisie lifestyle where it's like, oh, I'm sipping on fancy wine and eating a charcuterie board. <laughs> People say that's Epicurean. <laughs> that's not Epicureanism, but it kind of is because if that came to them sure, and was naturally offered to them, they would accept it. <laughs> Man, that's pretty funny. The charcuterie board thing got me. <laughs> you know, I actually, <laughs> I found, uh, I heard about the definition of, or not definition, I just didn't know what a charcuterie board was uh, until like Christmas of this year. And I was like, man like why does this word exist i don't know about you but sometimes i think about that um so the greeks would be the kind of people to like say like oh less is more but like look at this charcuterie board (laughs) (laughs) Uh, i love being greek uh no but they they would be the ones to do that and um i find that very interesting that uh he also invented um epicureanism and his name was what it was um good for him cool dude um plato i don't remember is there something called platoism or like oh any philosopher ism it's a thing this is depressing this is one of the major (laughs) gatekeeping tools of philosophy if you make up a concept or attribute someone's name with an ism you've made a whole new school of thought (laughs) this is impressively bad um (laughs) anyways uh i think it's it's interesting that this school of thought is it existed in okay in, mm, around the time BC, of like Plato, 800 definitely B, the, 800 is that 800 b i don't actually know i think it's like 800 or 700 maybe? between 800 to 500 bc, BC dang yeah, that residual history nerd came out nice <laughs> nice no but um that's that's interesting that it came 
out then. It's been out for so long, the school of thought at least, and the current level of consumerism that exists has been like, no, we're not going to let you believe this. Or like, we're not going to give you the opportunity. And personally, I don't think they give us the opportunity to believe it for most for most uh, intensive purposes. Yeah, and I mean, it's weird, right? It's like, you know, you've heard of, everyone's heard of Plato, Socrates, and yeah. it's like, there's been a recent like surge in these other schools of ancient Greek philosophy, including like, you know, stoicism, which is another term that gets thrown around way too often. Oh. Being stoic, that's a whole nother conversation. <laughs> And, you know, ancient skepticism, Epicureanism. It's odd that they're, like, picking up ground now, but it's also not when you have things like minimalism. And, like, with Stoicism, there's a lot of affiliation with, like, military toughness or, like, kind of like the yeah. strap up your bootstraps type of thing. Yeah, and and the Stoics are very much the, like, just be and, like, don't worry about all the, like, little things. And I think a lot of it's the distractions that exist with social media and, and whatever. And um, I think... I think it's good for sure. Um, we're going to get into consumerism a little later in the podcast, but um, like from what I have read offhand, just by hearing this stat being thrown around around a hundred K right of, of America USD income, right. will get you like the maximum amount of utility. Like you're not going to be like, Oh, 100 K to 150. I'm even happier now. Like people think money buys happiness and technically don't, don't think I'm crazy. Technically to a certain extent. Yeah. You're going to be happier if you don't have to deal with the stress of like paying them, not being able to pay your mortgage, not being able to pay your rent, not being able to get food. It, it just is like Maslow's hierarchy of needs. Like if you don't have money, you're not achieving the bottom like two levels i think or whatever the, like you don't have the necessary like shelter you don't have necessary food mm-hmm. without struggle less struggle would actually make you happier of course but yeah. there's a level where like people need to understand and, and this is you know i, I want to be successful and everything but it doesn't really matter past a certain number psychologists have found out and i think it's good that this the school of thoughts coming back around because as we were talking about with the like the rich people who who could give away a lot of their money. My question is, were they happier getting to that point of extreme success or could they not have just maybe given it some of it away and helped like overall utility, right? Helped overall utility on, across like on the way, had less things and been happier, but, but still could have been just as successful because like Bill Gates... In all technicality, his net worth could have not been associated with Microsoft's value if he so chose for that to be the case. He could have just chosen. Now, maybe actually, okay, he could have man- he could have managed to maybe keep sole proprietorship of the company, um, or at least put himself in a position to. to keep as the CEO in some sort of way, have like a, a salary that was around 100K, for example, like we're talking about, given a lot of the money that would have went in his pocket due to his uh, the amount of like net worth that he has by owning Microsoft, right? He could have taken whatever that was, given it away, had a salary of around 100K, probably been just as happy, 
if not happier in my oh. opinion and and oh, I, I feel like yeah. that's a radical opinion maybe but that that's that's where my thoughts are on bill no i agree and i think you know, I think a lot of, like you said, a lot of psychology is proving it true. And maybe that's why Epicureanism is yeah. picking up ground now is that, like always, the philosophers are the forerunners. <laughs> but um, you can't escape anything without thinking. <laughs> but anyway, <laughs> is that with Bill Gates, you said that if he gave away his money, he'd probably be, you know, if he did the right utilitarian thing, gave away his money, he'd be more fulfilled. Yeah, maybe. I would say even on a personal level, he would be a lot more fulfilled if he didn't have those unnecessary or unnatural desires like the Epicureans say. So a big okay. thing is like they're trying to balance long-term happiness with short-term pains. Yeah. So it's like an example that I always think of with myself is like I bought a bike this summer, right? And like nice. I needed it because I had to get to work. Like I... The, the train didn't go that far up north to Wilmette and 10 miles. I'm not going to walk. So I need a bike. So I bought this bike. And if there's anyone who owns a bike, you know, own, owning a bike is not enough to get you very far. I mean, I bought this thing for about, let's say, $500. Just a substantial amount. I don't think I've met $500 worth of investment into that bike yet. Yeah. But I've put new tires, brakes, like chain you know pedals all this stuff and it's like that's amounted to more and more money and it's like i own this thing and it would be silly if i owned another one because all it would do is bring me more stress facts if i owned a second bike all i'm gonna worry about is is it gonna get stolen do i need a new part because something's gonna break or make a noise on the ride and it's like you don't need that if bill gates owns a house with 50 windows that's 50 windows you need to clean if you own a, you know, two-bedroom loft and you have three windows, it's only three windows to clean. Less stress. That's true. And, and you know, some people are probably thinking like, well, why are you like doing whatever you're doing to Bill Gates' success? Like he can do what he wants with his money. I'm not saying he can't do that. Like that, that's what I, I would just, I think we're, I think it's important to like pref, uh, we were talking about prefacing earlier, which is <laughs> annoying, but yeah, so people don't get on my case. Um, just to preface by saying like, this is just an observation about like what I've seen with minimalism, what I've seen with like the happiness of people that exist that have like tried to like implement these things. Like, I think the difference is not uh, some person who would possibly not get what I'm, I'm trying to go at would be like, oh, well, like think about all the money that he deserved and that he earned and that like he's not going to get like you're saying he should only limit himself to $100,000. It's not limiting if you know that you can, at the drop of a hat, give yourself all the money you want. You know what I'm saying? Like right. he could choose to not have this 100K a salary, like 100K a year salary situation like this. He could just sell some of his part of the company or he could just stop limiting whatever sort of, uh, I'm, not, I'm not actually sure how we, he would physically do this maybe he could literally just budget and be like okay like i'm only going to keep this much and that means like every single day i have to give away this much i have to like invest this much in other charities like like daily he, he could even have to do it hourly honestly because he probably made more than 100k a day i'm probably you know what i'm saying oh like, he would he, lose money trying to research which charities to decide <laughs> yeah exactly right so he, he would have to like 
have some, and he, hey, you want know a crazy thing? He could pay someone to do this for him, or he could pay a team to do this for him because he's Bill Gates and he got billions of dollars. But, right. <laughs> you know, like, and it, it would give somebody else a good paying job and it could help charities be, like, the money of Bill Gates be used more effectively in charity, which he has a foundation. So I hopefully he's down with that. Um, <laughs> but my whole point is, I think it's an option, and I think people need to embrace the option because. Uh, wait, did you watch the, the minimalism documentary or either of them? No, I have heard if I watch one, I've watched both. <laughs> well, you know what, Matt? I, I, you you didn't write the script. The Nic- Nicodemus, good guy. Why am I blanking on the other guy's name? But Ryan Nicodemus and his buddy. Two great guys, great podcast, great documentaries but i'll be honest you can cut this out i understand this is taboo within well, this the is minimalism. not taboo this is not taboo i can be honest there hey i like man i like these guys you guys made a great second documentary however i will admit i'm trying to think of a funny like second like a, a funny um sequel comment like is there is there a movie where they actually had to say oh you know what it was you, you've seen star wars you've seen have you seen all the star wars's have you seen the the reboot? Sure. Yeah, yeah. I've seen, I've the, seen first, the new ones. The new yeah. ones. Okay. Have you seen A New Hope, like where they blow up the Death Star the first time? They blew it up again. You know, well, yeah, like A New Hope is like the old movies, like the original trilogy. Do you remember how, like, in the seventh movie, like they just blew up like the the Death Planet? Oh yeah, yeah, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. You did that with the minimalism documentary, like good stuff. Like I like it. It was all good, <laughs> but like I think you actually said some of the same stuff again. Like good, I've always been of the opinion a lot of the self-help stuff is regurgitated and I like minimalism. So I'm good that you're spreading it and hopefully the rebranding or not the re, yeah, maybe a sort of a rebrand remarketing campaign did good for like the metrics of how many people know about minimalism. But bruh, this was like the same thing again. And you know, just, uh, anyways, the minimalism <laughs> documentaries were good. Love them. And in the minimalism documentary, you you say I think Ryan, you say a second time how you started off with like no money and you had a mother who was struggling with abuse and and there was really not a lot of happiness in your life, right? And then you got that job at at, at the starting point that you did and you made this much and then you're like, okay, well, fifty k, I guess inflation happens, so like I I did, I'm not ha- that happy. I need to make like a hundred. And then you're like, okay, well, I need to go higher and higher. And then you reach like a very high paying corporate position, and then you just find yourself not to be happy. And you really have done a great job of illustrating. And I guess I don't know why I'm talking to him anymore, but audience, just understand that Ryan did a really great job of illustrating like. A man went from being poor to being rich, and then he realized, I would rather live the material equivalent of, like, being poor, you know, while having the financial security. Right. I mean, it gets back to the Bill Gates thing. It's like, he can do what he wants with his money. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All I'm saying is, I'm winning. Because <laughs> <laughs> I think I have less windows to wash than you, and I'm a little less stressed. <laughs> I'm just saying, I'm winning. You think you're winning. I'm winning, Bill. No, like, you can say to yourself, I'm Bill Gates, and that's great. But there has got to there's got to be a level of stress of being Bill Gates that I just don't want to have. Oh, it's unreal. I mean, like, and that's the whole thing, right? Is like this is added stress that he did not need to do to himself. I know I keep bringing up this house analogy, but his <laughs> mansion and the house that I buy will probably both stand till the day we die. Yeah. Hurricane, tornado, hopefully doesn't happen. But like, yeah. Either way, it's like so. My long term happiness is just as good as his. Sure, he has legacy, but I mean. 
Uh, uh, legacy okay we were talking about this yesterday and last night were you saying like uh the the wisdom thing and how like uh what's his name uh Neil deGrasse Tyson made like some comment about like uh, I don't know why people worry about death because I don't know why that's my Neil deGrasse impression I'm impressions guy that was horrible <laughs> um, Neil deGrasse Tyson made a comment how um, I don't know why we're so worried about death because consciousness and and like being dead are like mutually <laughs> exclusive so like why are we worried I think my psyche was putting this Neil deGrasse Ty- I think I made Neil deGrasse Tyson Epicurean because yeah, yeah, yeah. we had been talking about this podcast topic but. Yeah. That's actually another Epicurean debate. It's like they yeah. say that you shouldn't fear death because you only fear death when you're conscious. And when you're dead, you're not conscious. Right. So how can you fear death? Yeah. But and I was like, like, well, no one's fearing death. Everyone's fearing dying. <laughs> yeah, that's true. And I, and, I, and I was going back and like furthering that point of like, if you aren't going to be conscious and able to and able to appreciate your the legacy, legacy yeah. that then people appreciate when you're gone does it matter and that's why i stopped <laughs> talking because i was like afterlife <laughs> afterlife wait a second we can't say yeah we can't say now we're debating in this we're conversation debating. <laughs> we're debating but um yeah it's funny to think about that you're winning against bill gates but i mean in some cases you could be because i have found a study that was shown i think in the first minimalism documentaries but i didn't find it um either it was in the first minimalism documentaries in another minimalism video i saw i think something like the majority of american households don't use 40 percent of their house oh yeah that's well, true for i my mean house. like that, that's so true but like I, I mean it hadn't hit me like outside of the fact of like man we don't use the dining and I pointed that out to my mom a while back, and now she uses the dining room all the time. Like, I don't know if it's to prove a point, but it's not a dining room anymore. I didn't have a problem with her using it. It's great. I think it's great that we're using, like, the majority of her house. I'd say, like, outside of, like, a, a spare bedroom, which the concept of a spare bedroom, I don't even want to get into how weird that is. Um, like, you're, you're, <laughs> you're taking a spot in your house just, just in case you want, like, a person to, like, stay the night like it kind of invade like the, the the sanctity of what your house is for a night because just in case like what is that i don't, I don't really get like that. could you imagine like leaving food out for someone who may or may not be coming at any point because that's the equivalent. <laughs> it is the equivalent you got like a freezer just stocked downstairs <laughs> well dude it's like you show up to your friend's house and his mom's already made dinner it's like oh we've been expecting you it's like <laughs> it's not you're cool. a freak it's not cool you're a freak yeah that's not cool at all i don't like that that scares me i, I bet i have friends that you know what honestly <laughs> you have friends who did that you probably had friends who did that feels bad <laughs> who fed me well we're probably prepared because they knew <laughs> they they know how it was that's a whole topic for another day but um yeah no there's there's something really crazy about the fact that bill gates has the same amount of utility most likely in whatever house he's had in his life versus anyone else like it's found in the little things so for example we have a computer room at home not computer room i guess it used to be the computer room there's a there's a desktop in there it's it's an office okay there's a there was a lot of stuff in there we needed to get rid of and like the constant thought of like we gotta get rid of this we gotta go through this like stuff just equaled stress and to a certain point i was like man i pointed out like that was a thing to my family i pointed out that we don't use the dining room and then like once we took action with that you know i think we got a lot more utility out of the house but still it's like the same house like people are just so unaware about this and it just bothers me because bill gates or whoever it is harping on bill 
Um, the, I feel like he's just stood in as like the <laughs> the name of this billionaire guy we're just ripping on. <laughs> and it's it's okay. You can have all the money in the world. Like once again, preface, preface, preface. But um, it's just very interesting that you you as a as a college student, not done with with minimal net worth, to be blunt, could actually just say the statement unironically: "I'm winning, Bill." <laughs> I think I am. I mean, I think you said the same at utility. Honestly, it's less. Like when you have like a an office space or any kind of like, I mean, we were talking about storage space. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. I think it's nothing but a stress creator. I mean, for anybody, it's like, what good will this bring you? Unless this is, you're holding something that's going to bring you like some kind of satisfaction or pleasure in the yeah. long term, which I just don't imagine don't is with. true in most cases. Like, why do you own this? Sentimental value in physical objects can be held within a closet or within a box. That's my opinion on, on the topic of like, why do storage units need to exist? Like when people say like, oh, there's all this stuff, like the sentimental value, whatever sentimental in your life can be held within a box and a computer hard drive. Oh, I absolutely agree. Like I who, think that's a, that's an argument of the limits of sentiment but i mean i think that you can only own so many things that are really going to mean something to you i mean like half of my basement at home is dedicated to storage and i just can't imagine that every one of these things means something to my parents and they got records they got bikes they got all kinds of garbage (laughs) it's garbage truly garbage and it's like just get rid of it like give it to someone else going back to almost like charity i mean thrift this give it to someone who's going to find goodwill real value in this and like now it's their sentiment yeah true and and they'll get a lot more out of it than you would and uh, at that point and i was uh i was just thinking to myself for a second but like have you personally taken like any sort of like all right i'm just like gonna go through a bunch of my stuff and just like start throwing it out i don't know i mean sure maybe in your life you've done it uh, my mom made me do it a fair amount with like wardrobe stuff when i was younger like just constantly trying to give stuff away because i didn't need it anymore and i was growing out of it or whatever but i'm curious whether you've actually like said okay i have this box or i have this room or whatever it is filled with stuff have you just been like chuck it out like just give it away throw it away yeah like i have a bunch of uh I'm a big fan of like the uh, big like almost like Tupperware containers, but like not for food, but for clothes. Oh, I'm going to extend this analogy and this stuff is expired. Oh, God. <laughs> Sitting under my bed and it's just like, these are probably clothes that might fit me, toys that I played with when I was little, but it's like, these clothes are out of fashion. I'm not a child. I don't need toys. Sure. It's, it's just like, yeah, I've done it a little bit. I could do it more. I probably yeah. have too many clothes. Yeah, I was I was gonna get there. I, I was just I, I you're a fashionable dude. You, you look you, you see oh, on the camera, whatever. Yeah, he <laughs> looks good. But the my question is to to the people in the audience, like if you haven't, why haven't you? Because like the second and this is crazy. You guys are gonna be like, and I was telling Chances the other day, like I don't like that I have twelve shirts. Not <laughs> for the reason that it's too little. I feel like I have too many shirts like it's 10 or 12 i forget um but i only have this and black shirts and it's getting to the point where i look in my closet and i go oh god because i only do laundry like every week and a half or two weeks with my normal clothes because like 
I have the same of everything. And it's like, I don't really need to do laundry. It was like the same piece of clothing. And if I'm not sweating and I'm sitting inside all day, I'll wear the shirt two to three times. Cause like, apparently that's what people do. I thought you have to, to wash something the second you wear it every time realized in college that that's not the case. It's not gross if you haven't sweat. Okay. Um, but I've reached the point where I'm like, I could get away with six and I'd only, st- I'd still do laundry like every two weeks. Cause like, I only have like, what, like 10 pairs of underwear and socks. So at that point it's like, why do I have one? Why do I have more shirts than, than those? But two, since you get double the use out of the shirts, you know, like with that logic, I should only have five shirts, but I hate odd numbers. So it'd have to be six, but I have gotten more utility and more happiness out of the fact that I have less shirts. And I just go, ah, gray. <laughs> and I just pull it out of the closet. I mean, yeah, sure. I think that I find, I think we've, We've talked about this a little bit because I don't think I could ever go just gray shirts. <laughs> I think I'd miss a flannel. <laughs> but I think that you kind of assured me in a little bit with the whole like creating meaning yeah. with the shirts that you own. Like I have a wolf shirt and yeah, that's fine. There's a certain that's little fine. tradition I have of wolf shirt Wednesday. Yes, that's it's like fine. I have associated meaning and there's no decision because I only wear it on Wednesday or exactly. like flannel Friday. I only it's not Friday, but I'm wearing a flannel on Friday. Unless it's the summer. Unless it's the summer, then it's always Friday. And maybe I'm reaching too far, but I think the biggest thing for me also is that I'm not bringing in any like new clothes. Like yeah. I'm only trying mm-hmm. to go secondhand now. That's good. So it's like, I'm not willing to <laughs> only wear gray shirts because I find utility in like going to a yes. thrift store and be like, oh, that's a yes. dope flannel. Yes. But like. But that's that's what minimalism is. It, it there's a misconception in the crowd where it's like you have less. That's that's what you want, right? You only want like the minimum amount of things. It's like, no, not everything. Like I have a friend shirt which I don't wear, but it brings me <laughs> happiness because I love friends. Anyways, um, no, but like, if you have something that you enjoy, that's okay. I would just say like think about like just look at some clothes in your closet and like I did this thing where and and mainly what I realized was this. Due to my hatred for my, uh, for like putting outfits together due to my colorblindness, I was like, man, I only really wear like the same outfits every week and like in, like in a row, but like I need to like, but like I need to have this thing match this thing. Cause I, that, that's what I know match because I can't tell if it wouldn't like, but I just like know that this matches and like people have told me and I'm not going through the hassle of asking more. Cause that's just it's embarrassing. Um, I was like, I am going to find a shirt that would bring me happiness. I'm going to just only wear that shirt or an alternative. And then I will get rid of the, uh, I will, I, I'm taking the aspect of thing make me sad and getting rid of that mm-hmm. for clothing. And that's, that's all it is for me. Yeah. I think this is a good point to like qualify. Maybe what I was ripping on Bill Gates about <laughs> earlier, because maybe I still am winning, but <laughs> I mean, I think I'm also fortunate the fact that like, I think you're even more fortunate with the fact that you're very comfortable with wearing a gray shirt every day. Yeah, you really don't is what it is. care about your fashion that much. And like, that's not a rip on your fashion because you have your, you know, your look, but it's like, I have my look and that looks a little more diversified for me. And there's people that have different levels of that. Yeah. Just, I don't want to f- say it's innately, but it's some kind of like way you grew up preference that you have. So yeah. it's, it's okay if, you know, you have five bedrooms instead of two. Oh, yeah, yeah. If that's the lifestyle you lead where you need, I don't know why you need five bedrooms, but maybe someone does, or you need a larger wardrobe than you or I, and it's like, 
but it's about finding meaning like yeah. you said and i yeah. think that a lot of people like within our friend circle kind of like really rip on you and try to be critical with like anything that's not minimal it's like, like you don't know the definition get out my face with the with the talk like the topic right so it's like it's minimal but like it looks different for everyone is something yeah. that i've learned yeah it's it, there's like this other name that some people use called essentialism which is a different thing but like kind of similar it's like a minimalism's like step cousin or something like it means like you need to find the like what's essential to you and like hold on to that and that's fine but like it, here's here's something that i i wanted to ask you about your wardrobe specifically and, and the audience as well okay say you're like chance and have flannel shirt friday do you own more than one flannel shirt oh absolutely how many <laughs> i own like five flannels why because it's flannel friday every friday Okay, okay, but let me break this down for you. Do you think subconsciously <laughs> you going from one flannel to another, and, and I'm not saying like it needs to be only like one flannel that you need to keep. Do you think the difference, be honest, do you think the difference between one and five is huge? Because you have to have a favorite. You subconsciously have to have a favorite. Oh, absolutely. Do have favorites. Do you have two that's like a favorite? Yeah, probably. I could narrow it down. Why not? Why not? You no, know, why haven't you? Like I have no argument. You have, like it's just a quick like I'm quite, like I reached the point early on where I was like, okay, I thought I was solving a lot of it, of it with like, okay, I know what matches. I'm only going to keep what I know matches, and then all my other clothes like screw it. But then I reached the point where I was like, damn, I'm only really, I'm only like wearing black and gray stuff. Yeah. And I, I like what Matt looks like. Matt Diavella <laughs> was like, um, and I'm like eh, I'll go with that. And I just, my question is like, if you only like, what's the, what's the point in the three extra flannels taking it up your closet? Cause you're only, you're alternate, you're only wearing the same shirt twice a month. Right. No. And I think that you've pinned me in a corner, right? <laughs> like my only, my only arguments are, I don't know. I don't know if I'm saying essentialism like I'm yeah. mm-hmm. misconceiving consensualism yeah. or essentialism but i could be like oh my essence is just spread so far i need five flannels and <laughs> nah, 10 pairs of pants that's dog that's don't dog. like that <laughs> the other one it could be that i have a blue pair of jeans a black pair of jeans and i got khakis so i need one that matches each and this brings me to the next question why do I have? Why so do you have so many different options for pants? But I was I was getting flack from one of our roommates the other day about like, oh look at you, you like you wore shorts like instead of uh, your your flannel like sweatpants, and I'm like, okay, hilarious and original. First of all, <laughs> hilarious and original. I wear the same thing every day. Right. <laughs> I was like, this has been established before I became a self-proclaimed minimalist. Like people have been giving me, me this flack since freshman year where I wore the same pair of sweatpants nearly every day, but I had two pairs, so I washed them. So don't think <laughs> I'm a swine. Um, <laughs> that's the first thing. Second thing is why do you, do you find joy in wearing three different or five different types of pairs of Nike sweatpants? No. Yeah. yeah like, you don't. It's, that's like, the thing. You right? really don't. <laughs> like, do you? And my question to you is, which one's your favorite? Which pair of pants? Which one? Oh, blue jeans. They're so versatile. They work with the most. Black jeans, you could do black sweatpants. And yeah. I need a pair of sweatpants. Yeah. That isn't jeans, you know? Yeah. Or I'm just going to be uncomfortable laying yeah. on the couch. So I could get rid of my black jeans. 
I mean, uh, arguable. Uh, but I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> I, the uh, edgy Panic in the Disco yeah. fan comes out. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, like the question is, I don't own khakis. Or I, I have like khaki shorts. It's kind of weird. I have, yeah, the minimalism thing is true. But like in, in the winter, outside, I will only wear jeans. I only have two pairs of jeans. And yeah. I only have three pairs of shorts, like khaki slash golf ish shorts but they all go with the gray shirt that's mm-hmm. like that's the rule so my question is why not take your favorite two pairs of pants you could wear outside take your take all of your favorite shirts and make sure they match with these two <laughs> options and then you never have to think again no i, I agree and like not only is that like going to be more effective, but I've just been thinking about how like you could look like a cartoon character. Like how dope would that be? Like if you're always like wearing, you know, how, like I'm cartoon car- characters. I'm like, a cartoon character. They wear like the same shirt, and it's kind of like you associate like I'm SpongeBob. Yeah, you, you just, the list goes on, but I mean, like you could associate some kind of wardrobe with that person, and it's like it's another thing that I actually have a lot of respect for, like tattoos and stuff like that. For is that like it's a more permanent choice and becomes more a part of your identity. I think it was um, Henry David Thoreau that criticized wearing clothes because he says that not wearing clothes as in like some tribalism shit, like (laughs) don't wear clothes. (laughs) But he says, if you can't put everything in your suitcase and go across the country, you have too much. That's excessive. But I it get, is excessive, I but it was also like 200 years ago when life okay, was just yeah. thought different, right? Yeah. I mean, so he was saying how he is a fan of tattoos because that's just a part of your identity. You can, I can take off this flannel, put on a dress shirt, and everyone that sees me has a different idea of me, right? Oh. But if you wear a gray shirt every day, I mean, that's a part of your identity you have chosen, and it's a part that. You don't decide to take off. I never take it off. No, I never take the gray shirt off. Right. And that's just about being authentic and staying the same in every space you exist in. Here's a question. And this is for someone who you're not, not, you're not a minimalist, but you're, you're open to the idea. What do you say? You're a, I'm just like a a fan. (laughs) This This is what I say to people when people try to give me flack on like not being productive at times or like not knowing every single topic. I'm like, you know what? I'm not an, I'm not a. I'm not a productivity expert. I'm an enthusiast. Yeah, I'm a minimalist enthusiast. <laughs> yeah, you're a middle, yeah, you're an enthusiast. You're not an expert. You're not. You're not even an act. Mm, would an activist also does an activist take action? Is that a word that that fits? I don't think activist is a level on this scale. No. Anyways, um, <laughs> you're not an activist. Um, you're a minimalist enthusiast. My question to you would be: So I have this conundrum with the extra shirts. They are comfortable. What if I gave them all a small? What if I gave two of them a small mark, and I wore them to as pajama shirts, so that I wouldn't throw them out? Oh, because you're I, saying you want to cut down to six shirts from twelve. Oh, yeah, maybe not, but like somehow I'll uh, like change my wardrobe because I have two like I have two shirts that I use for at night, right, or to sleep in. I'm not going to get rid of any of the 12 shirts. I've, I've already purchased them for $5 each, each from Old Navy. It's fine. Um, <laughs> honestly, great, great deal, by the way. Uh, my question is, it's so comfortable, and the two shirts that I have to sleep in do not bring me value. They're just, they exist, and they're the shirt that I sleep in. Why not just 
like put a little mark on a tag some there's no tags in these okay minimalism joke <laughs> oh there is a tag why not put a mark on two of them with a little like n like a little knight like a, a little nitro yeah. nitro right? and then i have my two shirts that i sleep in that are my night shirts and I, they get value. I get value because I don't have to decide between the red bold shirt that I got at the game once <laughs> and the other shirt. I think I mean it's a. I mean, you sound pretty sold for yourself. It <laughs> sounds like good. I'm just trying to poke any hole in your, hole in your argument. Yeah, I mean, was, the there, only, was there an argument? I mean, it sounds like you had a little bit of association with that bull shirt you got at a game. You might have some emotional uh, attachment we there. Lost. Eh, bulls suck. <laughs> bulls suck. It's comfortable. I'll admit it's comfortable, but is it? Is it more comfortable than the gray shirt? Does, does comfort... Okay, I, I'm of the opinion that more wash cycles and dryer sheets equals more comfortable, right? So I could get the same comfort level of one of these gray shirts if I just threw it in the wash like eight times and put a bunch of bounce sheets in there. I don't know. That only works to an extent. I mean, it's like a pair of shoes. Like, you got to break them in, but then you start breaking holes and it's like, is this more comfortable or is this a garbage i mean that shirt is kind of worn man that's true well tbd on the uh on the shirt change because then it'll make it'll make vlogging a lot easier i tell you what i wouldn't have to like get, wake up in the morning change my shirt that i go to sleep in so that i can vlog because honestly that is actually the most frustrating part about vlogging it is you do look <laughs> a little silly when you wake up with the red shirt if i then always talk that about videos? the gray shirt have i accidentally done that before you have woke it's, up it's with, the, the with the red shirt but like i'm trying to be authentic but like, right. But like, I only wear the gray shirt, but people understand, like, obviously I have a, I have a pajama shirt. Like, why would you, like, who doesn't have pajamas? Right. Well, unless you're like, Michael B. Jordan sleeps naked. I found that out from a Vanity Fair video. <laughs> There's an, it's just an example. I think just Bieber said he did too. So, just because I said who, I, I begged the question. I had to answer. Um, and, that, and next up on the, on the list, consumerism currently exists. I want just to give a few examples from our personal lives because we did talk about it a lot kind of already. Mm. Um, what examples in your own personal life have you noticed that consumerism has been, I don't want to say counterproductive, but like we gave, we roasted Bill Gates, right? For too long. Poor sure. Bill. Give examples of times you've noticed just like anecdotally, it doesn't have to be someone, you know, personally it could be someone, you know, personally of, you know, like, Hey, this dude, man, like, what is up with like the stuff? Like, you know, like you know what I'm saying, like, they just don't get it. What we're yeah. talking about. I mean, there's two examples. I don't know where you want to delve, but yeah, yeah, yeah. I worked at a storage unit place over the summer, and the anecdotes go on for a long while about how much stuff I saw people bring in. I mean, boxes on boxes of stuff, and it's yeah. just like they are just so upset with themselves that they had to like spend their weekend. You know, I had to run this elevator that would take them up and down to their floor and you have to make small floor? chat because it was like a four-story storage place it was massive but we had this like um industrial size elevator that could take like two huge carts worth of stuff up mm-hmm. and you're sitting in this elevator you have to be the elevator operator and like make small chat and every time these people are so miserable they're like uh. this isn't a great way to spend my saturday and i'm like yeah me talking to you isn't either but like <laughs> But who created this problem? That's true. <laughs> All you did was create a job for me. Yeah. I think the, the second one, and I'm saying both because I don't know which one you want to get into, yeah, yeah. but um, um, I have someone in my life who owns a lot of cars. Yeah. Not to out them, but 
he always buys like another car as if like he's gonna drive it to work but he has driven the same one or two cars to work and owns about five other cars i mean they're all like nice sports cars or like the cars that he dreamed about as a kid about owning and it like i think initially brings him some kind of value because he's like super stoked about it but like he never drives Mm -hmm. it i'm from cleveland so you can't drive it half the year with the snow and it's just like the only time i see it or hear about these cars is like i gotta go take it from the storage place and bring it back here or or let me go drive to the storage place because I got to take my car there for the winter. <laughs> it's like, well, what did you get it for? <laughs> yeah, it must not be that. Uh, you know what? First of all, you brought up a good point about like he gets some initial thing out of it. I think studies have shown that like it's like, oh, money doesn't bring you happiness. Like there's a caveat that's like conveniently left out every time. Money doesn't bring you happiness after like the initial purchase like wears off. Like always. Right. right? It's always there is an initial purchase. And that's why. When we talk about money doesn't bring you happiness or like there's a, there's a level of it, experience brings you longer term happiness due to due to what I will dive into with like the whole car thing. An experience that's good does not have the bad long term effects of a, a great purchase, quote unquote, great because like all you have is the memory, right? Right. There is no reality of dealing with something negative that could happen to your car there's no reality of like hey huh i don't I, like you think back to like this really fun trip say you got a little too rowdy with the boys or something <laughs> like that like you don't have to think about the negative aspects or if there was some sort of negative aspect you laugh at it because it's not a reality but what is a reality is that if you leave the nice car out in the wrong part of cleveland or you need or the wrong part of the snow or the wrong part of whatever right there is the reality of oh my god then i have to get it fixed it costs more money experiences equal happiness more than they do the more than objects do oh absolutely i mean that's the whole epicurean weight scale right it's the long-term happiness and the long-term pain it's not the short term i mean you could go on about drinking smoking all these things that could bring you comes down short-term happiness but it's like in the long term it's only going to hurt you and it's like i don't think with consumerism we think about that in the same detrimental way as we do some of these worse habits they're just obviously pretty bad in the short or in the long term, but I don't know, for some reason, don't get the same flack in the short term. Yeah. And I think there's like this weird clout thing now. Like people are like, oh my God, look at the car you got. And like people get this, um, this problem and I've had the, the short term issue and like really just thrown it out the window about like how many uh, views or whatever you get or likes you get on Instagram. But like someone gets a new car like that and they post that so much like um what's the word i'm looking for like i don't want to say reinforcement of like positive what's the, what am i looking what, what's the word i'm looking for like they, they feel like they're getting uh validated they like feel like they're, yeah, yeah they're getting affirmed yeah they're getting validated from this right sure. so there could be a situation where the person who buys the car is like oh like i know if i tell people about this like i'll feel validated about like i've made it like i've really done it but like you know what would probably make them happier it would be like honestly and this is this this would be a flex, just the same thing. Go on like a trip somewhere nuts. Go on a trip somewhere nuts for like two weeks because like you got the money to be you got the um, the proverbial fu money to just like blow it on a nice weekend or not nice weekend, nice week, two weeks. We can be like, hey boss, I'm taking like a decent amount of time off because I'm great at my job and you know you need to keep me. And this is I'm using all my vacation time at once. Oh yeah, I mean absolutely. It's like 
and what is making it i mean like this yeah. guy had three cars and they thought you know i'd really make it if i had four and now he has seven it's like it's a goalpost shift yeah so it's it's it's, <clears throat> it's that whole treadmill thing it's like you never really make it right i don't know what the, the hand is the hamster wheel the hamster, the hamster wheel, wheel yeah, the sure hamster wheel. Yeah. yeah and it's like you get like one more thing and you think that's gonna make it but it's like no and i am a little skeptical skeptical of how much more happiness travel will bring you undoubtedly brings you more than consumer goods yeah but there's still some kind of level where it's like Trap. how much stress does a trip bring to because yeah. you're you know mm-hmm. you go to the airport you wake up early you're like oh my god i'm so tired you get there and it's like you got to settle in you're there for a couple of days and have a nice time then you gotta go right back yeah, I mean, true. I think I think you need to like uh, people who do take. I uh, I don't want to say like I have an experience, a lot of experience taking trips, but uh, I I have experienced like that process many times. And trust me, believe you me, nothing is more annoying than the like morning of like you gotta get up at four because the limo or the the taxi is gonna be here at like five, and yeah. then like, you gotta like go to go to the airport, and then you gotta eat the McDonald's at seven, and <laughs> <laughs> hey, airport McDanks is the best, but. Yeah, I, I, I vibe with, with that idea because if, well, not because, if people manage to get the trips done with the minimal amount of that, I'd say that it's definitely like, I mean, it's like levels upon levels better though. Oh, undoubtedly better. But people choose not to. People people find a way yeah. to like need to, to leave at this time and need to do this at this time. It's like, yeah, I'm not saying, how do I word this? Like, are you missing the point of a trip if you manage to get the early flight so it's cheaper and you manage to get the late flight on the way back because it's cheaper and, like, then, like, the beginning and the end of your trip are kind of, like, a whole hassle? Like, I don't know if that that fully hits the point of what the trip was for. Right. The, the trip was to be stress-free and yes. all you've done is created stress because you want to save money on some consumer good. Yeah, consumer, <laughs> ah, the flight is... The flight is a consumer good. It is a, uh, is a, what's the word? Flight is an it's experience. A it's a, mm, it, it's a service based good. Sure. Oh, it's a service. It's a service. Not, I don't even know if good proper there. Yeah. It's a service. It's an experience. <laughs> not usually. You a talk good about one. a usually, spirit usually, flight. Usually not a good one. <laughs> usually not a good one. But with varying degrees, right? Yeah, it's an yeah, experience. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you yeah. go on spirit and no elbow room, no knee room. Everybody's going to. It's, I don't know, it's just awful experience. It's just awful. The, the customer service is inexistent. <laughs> but, you know, it, it can get better. And it's like, I think you made a good point that, like, you really should dedicate money to all facets of that trip. Yeah. I don't know why you would save money when it's not going to bring you any happiness to do those parts. Like, for example, if you, if you, this is a, maybe it's a dumb argument. I don't know. But say, say we're going to the part of like, reached we've reached the 100k a year utility point right yeah you're making money okay you're working a job that can manage to get you two weeks of uh two weeks of vacation time and probably two weeks as well of six time sick time what you should do in my opinion if we're going off the base basis of like we got to be as effective with making this this make you happy what you got to do you got to get the afternoon whatever flight like you're comfortable with waking up wise right you got to get it when um, you can, you know, maybe just vibe in the in the airport for a bit, go and treat yourself and maybe get business class. You don't have to go full out on the, 
on the first class for the air football, right. but I've done that once. I tell you <laughs> what, honestly, maybe, um, you got to think about it this way. All you need to do is take these margin. You think like, Oh my God, it's so much more expensive. But if you pull back all these marginal good purchases throughout the year, you are that you can give you the same amount of utility as not buying it or like maybe just like don't skimp out on food not on food but like the way you're doing something in your life right and like do that for like a few weeks and it'll probably equal the same amount of extra cost as like what we're talking about right yeah like and you can even just do this by like booking it out farther like booking out the trip farther and it'll probably help mitigate that a little bit yeah well i think that i don't know i'm so stuck on like this holistic experience of the trip because yeah, i think yeah. that like i think when you go to the airport and you just want to be there it creates this like kind of mentality it's like you always get want to be the next place you know like i tell us uh, in my family yeah. it's like we're like waiting to go to dinner and it's like oh when are we going to dinner we get to dinner it's like oh when are we getting home it's like we always want to be the next place but it's like what about if now we, if we took a little more time to like find like intentionality and grace and like being at an airport or like being in the air on the airplane it's like we could just enjoy the whole thing a little more holistically instead of starting out with this mentality of dread and just kind of like kind of persisting it throughout the week or however long you tend to vacation yeah and the vacation time that i remember growing up the best thing for me the best days for me were the days where we woke up and said all right, like, let's just go to the beach or something. Like, it wasn't anything crazy. Me and my brother just went to the buffets whenever we felt like it. We didn't have a dinner plan. <laughs> we just rolled out of bed. They're like, hey, no wake-up time. Just you boys wake up whenever you want. Just enjoy the experience. I'm like, ha, ah, yes, this is vacation. Not <laughs> the days where we went and did all. And yeah, sure, we have some good nuggets of memory in there. But like, I think I went on a trip to... Hawaii once and I know huh boohoo I went to Maui like uh, I'm, I'm sorry I'm sorry for doing this but like I went and I, I missed like a big part of um this place called Mount Haleakala it's like the top of like Maui or whatever it's like a only people that side. go to, Vol- to go to Hawaii, Hawaii know about know, right? it yeah it's the tallest it's the tallest state park in uh America in America um weird flex but okay uh and I fell asleep and like the the ride up so I missed it because like the altitude made me like tired. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Altitude right? sickness or something. Yeah. I was, yeah, I just got not altitude sickness, but I just altitude fatigue is a thing. Apparently if you're not used to it at all. Yeah. Cause we just were going up for like, I don't know, like an hour and a half. And at that point, yeah, you're going to go. We, the altitude was high, right? You could, you could theoretically do some sort of altitude training in, uh, in Maui, apparently you're in, in the other islands with the how high it goes maybe i'm wrong but i just remember being told by the driver and the tourist guide that the reason i was tired and like pretty much passed out was because of the altitude shift basically what i'm getting at is honestly i'm kind of glad i fell asleep because the whole thing apparently was just like they had to like go here and there at the park and they're like like you know it's like it's always like oh we're always going to the next part of the park we're always going to the right. next part of the park and i remember my experience at pearl harbor harbor as well and mm-hmm. I, I did that and that was really cool but the whole thing was just like so organized and i'm like yeah okay like i don't know like how much i'm enjoying each part of this because we're just like okay we're always going to the next thing we're always going to the next thing and that i'm i thought of those two experiences when you brought up the like needing to think about the next and the next and the next at trips Right. And I mean, I feel like I'm sitting over here in kind of like a, you know, nihilistic or like some kind of like 
super minimalist sense it's like just stay in your home and like no don't, do don't travel don't buy things like you don't want to go to one extreme but there's certainly a balance to be set between like being ambitious finding new you know new frontiers but it's also like just being able to like sit at the alpine for a second and like enjoy it the alpine yeah <laughs> i like that the alpine that's good it's like it's some kind of balance and i feel like that we this ties back to consumerism as well is just like we want to be able to like say that we did these things like you're able to spit off that you went to like pearl harbor and whatever the yeah. gatekeeping name of that mountain state park is it's like gatekeeping yeah you can say you did it but like can you like tell me one good detail about it like, the funniest part was the fact that one of the people that were on the guy the tour with me was like a drunk 65 year old man and it was very entertaining to watch <laughs> walk the streets of chicago you will find that <laughs> didn't have to go that far for that <laughs> exactly like i i i i have an in for anyone who's ever met me uh, i have an interesting train story that i could tell you in chicago and that was just circumstantial and that's much better than that story so. yeah <laughs> <laughs> you can meet any drunk on the street um not hating on drunks on the street but if you have a problem get help uh but yeah i definitely i definitely agree that the the structure of it kind of ruined it a little bit for me and even like the hearing about like pearl harbor honestly watching the matt damon pearl harbor movie was better <laughs> like dead dead serious it was a little bit better even though it was mostly... you gained a lot of information <laughs> on this podcast from movies <laughs> from movies <laughs> it gets back to how my uh okay i'm productive guys but i have a very weird habit that spikes every once in a while my background noise sometimes is just movies that's crazy it's just weird we've talked about like the difference in our background noises it's just like the nature of our studies is like i am constantly reading i could never like listen to a movie or even a podcast and like also be reading because that would just there would just be screaming in my head of like some third source just saying like stop one of these things yeah, from happening it's bad but with you i mean i guess i don't know if it's you just being able to multitask better or the nature of whatever you do habit. i think it's just an awful habit i picked it up by accident at uh by watch listening to sports news um early in uh college and it's just like like if no sports news is good to me i'm like i need like voice noise but i've already listened to podcasts for the day like <laughs> I want to hear Tony Stark like beat the Mandarin again. Like, like I don't know. <laughs> now you're playing a dangerous game of where you substitute news with movies, and now you're making movies your news. <laughs> That's not true. I finish the news and then go to movies. Okay. Like you'll see this. This will happen. Like my screen time will be at like an hour maybe by like two, but then the screen time goes to like eight by like nine. Wait, that's that math didn't work. No. That meant did work, but on the dot. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And my screen time will just be like nearly 100% for the next week. <laughs> but like, I'm not really looking at it. Like right. every like 15, 20 minutes, I'm like, oh, Tony, what are you doing? Oh, okay. I'll go back to the thing. Like that's what happens. And it, it's just been weird for years like that. I don't, I don't really know why I did that. Um, last thing we can talk about uh, before wrapping up, what ended up being for me, one of my more favorite podcasts. So we'll have to talk afterwards about the future because i thought this went you were right about the the chemistry thing this is much easier oh yeah this is extremely easy like the first 10 minutes for you was like but like this is much easier i'm uh, i'm just vibing now um this was good mm-hmm. anyways um last thing about like <laughs> lack of intentionalism or lack of being intentional and stuff i just want to bring up 
something uh, a, qu- a last question topic <laughs> is it worse to live a life with no intention or, or habits, bad intention or bad or bad or like bad habits slash intention because we live with somebody who generally <laughs> speaking <laughs> lives the life with not much intention and like kind of flies by the seat of his pants and i'm just i'm just curious like what what are your do you have an argument like for or against against that i don't <laughs> see because like we kind of have another roommate who has bad habits and then one that has no habits so it's really interesting to see the personification of both and kind of think like who's doing it better here because there's certainly something to be said about the effort of trying to make a habit it's like if a blind squirrel is going to find a nut eventually right yeah. <laughs> like you could have some you decent could. habit but it's yeah. also like you've wasted so much time trying to find a nut that like you've just <laughs> lost in the forest but that's also like if you have no habits i'm i know this will be another conversation yeah. but i'm a little anti-habit anti-habit yeah just because i think it's about diversifying your experiences but i don't know if i would do it without intention <laughs> if there's no habits i think I sit in a place where I want to make a habit of changing my habits. Yeah. Which is different than having no habit. <laughs> okay. All right. And and that's so, that's fair. I didn't answer the question, but I would probably you say... but you did. I'd probably say bad habits. Bad habits? You'd rather have bad habits. I don't know, man. Because this is the only reason I'm asking this is because we will get into habits in the next podcast, but it's because like the consumerism aspect of that, because then you like I can twist it real quick and be like, but... Is it better to have no habits for the type of like amount? Because we were talking about minimalism. Minimalism is just kind of like a, a habit, like a lifestyle. A lifestyle is the equivalent of uh, the manifestation of habits, right? Right. That's all it is. If you twist it real quick, is it better to have no consumer habits or bad habits? And see, now I'm saying no habits because. Yeah. Going back to our roommates, Question I mean, change. like, because <laughs> sometimes he consumes nothing. Like, he will eat rice and <laughs> sour, cream. sour cream for dinner, which I'm like, that's not a habit, but it's like, you just made a really smart consumer choice. If that is good enough for you, yeah, uh-huh. calorically, you know, nutritionally, <laughs> and like, emotionally. <laughs> yeah, emotionally, yep. But then he'll also go and, like, buy like pizza for like 15 bucks and it's like what was the point of dragging yourself through the mud of sour cream rice (laughs) just so that you can blow your money on a pizza one time like that's facts just enjoy some kind of like okay meal every time okay but then with bad habits it's like if you just make it the bad habit if you make a garbage but mediocre spent meal every time yeah i don't know like it what quantifiably i think the bad habits would treat you worse because like well i okay because you end up spending too much money no matter what no matter what what i'm thinking yeah but like my question would be the no habits like like let's take this to a bigger scale right (laughs) like the bad habits are bad yeah and i think generally speaking this would hold the true for the person with bad habits too but like could you imagine him just like in a scenario where like He's in the scenario where he has to buy his first house or car, right? Mm-hmm. Like, is it going to be on the 
on the good side or is it going to be on the bad side? But we don't know the answer to the question. Good or bad side of what? Monetarily, like oh, okay, like monetary choice. Like, was it was the choice he made? Like, did he did he get the the place with the right amount of rent? Did he get the house with the right mortgage? Did he get the car with the right lease? Like, oh, eight hundred dollars a month is fine. Like for the for the <laughs> not for the house for the lease. <laughs> the thing is, like, if you have habits where you're just so particular about what you want. It might lead you down bad consumer habits because, you know, like the society we live in is just going to push these consumer habits on us. If you have no habit and you come in with some kind of blank slate on buying a house, there's no preferences, anything that's going to hold you back from making a smart economic decision. I would argue the only thing would be the uh, people in place that are the, the, the mortgage um, brokers they would convince you. Well, maybe they've gotten better, but I mean, we saw 08 happen. Sure. I mean, you were, I was young, you were young, but, <laughs> but the, we saw 08 happen. And a lot of it was just convincing people with blank slates. Ah, that's true. <laughs> that's true. We just want to figure out whether our roommates are uh, going to be okay or not. Both of them. <laughs> More thinking to be done, man. More that's, thinking to be done. That's what I major in. I got plenty of time. Yeah, plenty of time. Well, man, thank you so much for being on the um, episode 40-something, maybe 39, no, 38. Episode 38 of the Rice Productive Podcast. And uh, if you have any final words, um, let the people hear them. I hope I'm back, y'all. <laughs> he's going to go through and he's going to listen to this. He'll make a final decision. I hope I'm back. <laughs> this is his audition. It sounds like he wants to be. Most of it was whether he liked it or not, honestly. so yeah, No one auditions with not wanting to come back. <laughs> Or get that follow-up call. Wait. Really? <laughs> I sound very stupid right now. All right. Thanks, guys. See you in the next one. Bye.